happened yesterday, <clears throat> and CETA, of course, yesterday did what they did. And this morning, we've got the compensation fund. So, colleagues, um, welcome. Um, and I would like to welcome the Minister <clears throat> of Employment and Labor and the Deputy Minister of Employment and Labor. Uh, Deputy Minister, I did receive the apology that you'd be uh, leaving early, <clears throat> and thank you for sending that um, in good time. And the minister, of course, will be here. <clears throat> the DG and the commissioner um, of the <clears throat> um, department and the compensation fund also present, I am told. But what I'll do now, colleagues, is that um, I'll hand over to the minister to make some initial remarks. And then Honorable Hatebe <clears throat> and Honorable Lis, we are in your hands this morning. Mazamba um, so would like to um, welcome you. So we'll do it in that uh, direction, colleagues. Uh, once the minister's done with the introductions <clears throat> and the brief remarks we'll make, we'll hand over to the Honorable Hatebe. And then when he's done, um, Honorable Lis, <clears throat> and then we'll come in to tie it down um, and then map up the way forward. Minister, at the end of the meeting, you'll have an opportunity to make concluding remarks on the basis of the observations that you would have made. <clears throat> Honorable Minister, over to you. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson and the members of the committee. The, the Deputy Minister, the DG, the Commissioner of the Compensation Fund and uh, his officials and the members of the media, ladies and gentlemen. Chair, let, let me thank the Scopa for this opportunity and let me assure you that, uh, and then let's assure you and, and the, the members of the committee that we always take very seriously these engagements with with parliament where the executive individual ministers and officials are held to account for their handling of the public finances if you allow me chair let me just provide a brief overview of the situation regarding the compensation fund the officials then will uh, provide detailed account as requested by the SCOPA regarding the irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure. We are reported in the 2019 and 2020 um, audit by the AG for which the fund received a disclaimer. So a very serious state of affairs, I must just come up front. It's a serious state of affairs which has persisted for the last, the last eight years, and you're right, Chair, you're also saying the last 10 years, at least. And so what are the steps taken? Where are we now? And what are the plans going forward? The commissioner who's running those operations will explain in detail the steps taken to address the 1920 audit findings. In particular, the areas where progress has been made and equally where problems persist. And not just talk about the positives, the negatives. Scopa will know that uh, 2021 also, the audit report was, and after interacting with the AG, it's also a disclaimed in certain parts. And uh, the commissioner will report on the progress of the previous year. 
And I understand uh, that there was progress in cleaning up the registers for irregular, fruitless, and wasteful expenditure. And in relation to reporting on the revenue and claims, he will also explain why progress has been limited in reporting on investment and prior areas or prior errors. And the commissioner will also report on the establishment of the clean audit testing, its work during the 2020-21 in enhancing the security and the financial controls and the action plans for the present year. And we'll also give assurances to Scopa that the fund is committed to addressing the AG's findings. And from my side, Chairperson, let me just assure Scopa of my commitment and that of the department to, I mean, to address the outstanding problems at the fund. We've taken the following actions. At our last meeting with, with Scopa, with the DM and the DG, we resolved on a thoroughgoing organizational review of the compensation fund, although not relevant today, but also the UIF, for that matter, to tackle the underlying systemic weaknesses. And I'm saying there are underlying systemic weaknesses related to the structure, related to the skills, related to the systems. Those are underlying. Part of this involves, therefore, that skills audit to ensure that we have the professionals, professionals required to manage this highly specialized environment, consisting of health insurance, medical aid and rehabilitation as well as running a pension fund. These are the skills which we need. You can't be able to run that entity along the lines of the department. You need to recruit highly specialized skills in these areas. And as part of the organizational review, as well as addressing the skills at the compensation fund, we are discussing the possibility of applying to make the fund a full schedule three entity with the capacity to attract the kind of skills required in the specialized environment. I've recently met with the office of the, of the AG in the wake of the latest audit report that said 2021, and they are providing guidance in the outstanding problems. Part of this involves acting on the AG's key recommendation, and I, let me quote, because this is very important. The tone from the leadership should not tolerate non-performance and should strive to ensure controls are adhered to on a day-to-day -day activities. Management must ensure they discharge their responsibility and safeguard the assets of the fund. Sufficient action should be taken to hold employees accountable for poor performance. That's consequent management and limit the reliable or limit the reliance which has been placed on consultants to assist with the day-to-day -day financial disciplines and preparations of the financial statements. As an agent 
need to review the controls environment of the fund, including the role of management and subsequently strengthening the preventative and monitoring controls to identify the deficiencies early and act appropriately. There should be a discipline in ensuring that accurate and complete financial and performance records are maintained. We, this will ensure financial statements and performance are supported by reliable evidence. And in this particular area, that's end the code. I'm very mad about this area. And additionally, the recent audit report identified areas of weak control, which gave rise to the risk of fraud and corruption. And I must put it up front, Chairperson, uh, with the DG, I've said they must look for, they must start the processes so that we conduct a forensic audit in these at-risk areas. Because it can't be that we can't be able to trace documents, but big monies were paid. We have to deal with this man. So let, let me conclude by saying the department is committed to exercising oversight over the fund and addressing the deep-rooted systemic issues which have led to repeat um, disclaimers in the past. And we value the work of the scoper. So in terms of the action from me, it's the skills audit. In fact, it's the organizational review, the skills audit, the forensic audit, so that we can be able to deal with the, with, with the rot there. That's, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's what... Uh, we, we want to go into, and I must mention, uh, I must mention uh, Chaperson and the members, with the DM and the DG, we are committed to this regular monitoring of progress towards the implementation of the fund action plans. And uh, in this, we will enlist the support of the Compensation Fund Internal Audit and the Compensation Fund Audit Committee, whose work uh, was was commended by the AG. But as to why those were not implemented, it's going to be exposed very soon when we deal with the investigations because there were, there were very important uh, recommendations which were supposed to be implemented. But as, as I close, Chairperson, I want to say we, we have to monitor this now on a monthly basis. We have to have reports on a monthly basis, even if it means both the portfolio committee and the scoper are demanding or want us to appear on a quarterly basis, so be it, to report against the plans and the targets to the scoper and the portfolio committee, and even the select committee and the office of the of the AGSA, and we have, we have agreed with the Office of the AGSA that uh, constant reporting and then them giving advice is very key to see if there's progress. Uh, but the details will come from uh, the, the DG and the commissioner in particular, in relation to particular areas. Thank you very much, Chairperson. All right. Um, thank you very much, uh, Minister, for that. Just one housekeeping rule. Um, <clears throat> for those who will be speaking and responding, please make sure that your camera is on. 
because we are streaming um, on Parliament's platforms across the spectrum. Um, so, Honorable Hatebe, uh, we are in your hands. Um, you will let us know. It's a quarter to 10. Uh, let's see how far you are at half past 10. Thank you, Honorable Chesson. Oh, no, just one second. Sorry, sorry. Uh, right. Minister, uh, please introduce your delegation so we know who's here. Uh, that's the only thing. So, Honorable Hatebe and the rest of us, and Honorable Lees, know who we are talking to. Sorry about that, BH. Honorable Minister. Uh, can we get the introduction of the delegation? My 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 apologies. I was talking to myself. Sorry. I was saying, uh, Chairperson, the the Deputy Minister uh, Muloy is here. The DG Lamati is here. Commissioner Mafata of the Compensation Fund. Um, we also have the Chief of Staff, George Mudumela. We have um, our liaison officer in Parliament, um, Tando Wababa. We also have uh, OLSTG. The DG must help me. That's that's the list which I have from 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 our side. Unless I miss some people, DG. I think that is sufficient. I think the persons who are here are here. Honorable Hatebe, or just is internal audits present? Oh, DG, is the internal audit present? Yes, they are present, Chair. Okay, perfect. Right, Honorable Hatebe, over to you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, um, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, colleagues, uh, Minister and the Deputy and your entire delegation. Um, uh, Chair, I'm pleased to hear the tone of your voice. Um, you have recovered from yesterday, which is good. Um, we're happy. Um, Minister, um, you have become a permanent feature uh, into SCOPA. For the past decade, 10 years, uh, Minister, your department entity or fund has been in red. Coincidentally, that uh, coincide with your political allegiance. I don't know why. Uh, but that on its own, it's a serious uh, uh, area of concern for us that a fund, we regard you as uh, an insurance company uh, because you're dealing with uh, 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 funds on behalf of, of companies. For 10 years, 10 years, Minister, you've received adverse and disclaimed audit findings. Yet when it comes to your leadership structure, there's stability. Most of your senior um, executive have been there for more than five years. 
with the exception of two executives who are currently acting, but still there is no improvement whatsoever. The situation is getting from bad to worse. And I'm trying to describe uh, the current status in the fund. And I'm going to say this with utmost humility, excuse my language, but the situation in the fund, it's rotten to the core. Uh, that's the only best description that is befitting to the current status quo. The fund is rotten to the core. I'd like to get a sense uh, uh, because from the fourth administration, Honorable Chair, to the fifth administration, and currently to the sixth administration, the fund has been appearing before Scopa, and nothing has changed. I think it is high time that we put our foot down and take drastic measures and decision to change the current status quo. Insanity is doing same thing over and over and expecting different results. You have managers who have been part of the system and nothing has changed. I want chair for a start uh, to get a sense because when I uh, and the composition of the fund, something did not occur well with me. You have an advisory board, you have a commissioner, you have a DG. In terms of accountability, honorable minister, can you please tell us in terms of your structure, is, is it working? Is it yielding positive results? I'm asking this based on the issue pre yesterday, Chair, if you recall, that was raised uh, uh, by uh, Minister Nzimande in terms of having an accounting authority who's an accounting officer as well. Now, this is what I also picked up here. You have an advisory board, you have a commissioner, you have a DG. Let me start with that aspect. Uh, I'm not too sure who's going to answer, whether the minister or, or, or the DG. The structure, is it a, a composed or structured in a manner that gives a, a, a oversight and accountability that produce positive results? That's my first question. So we are going to have an interactive session, minister and your delegation. I'll ask one question, you respond, and then we take it from there. Before we, we deal with key and critical issues of irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure and uh, funds that seem to be disappeared with, 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 without accountability and this duplication of funds. Can I just get an answer on my first part? Okay. I agree that the fund is rotten to the core. It can't continue to have disclaimers after disclaimers. But adding to your question, is it as a result of what? Is it neglect? Is it corruption? Is it structural issues? I think it's a combination of the different factors, Jefferson. Um, 
I'm saying there are basic controls which you need to have, which have been neglected. That's ne neglect. But I won't definitely say corruption, but I suspect corruption, the forensic audit can be able to help us that. Because why are certain things not being followed? Why they have always been there? And then there are documents. But what is also clear, Chairperson, some of the problems there are structural. You're sitting with an entity which is operating far from the department. Of course, the DG is an accounting officer, but all the operations are separate from the department. It has a board which is advisory, which cannot take any responsibility. And uh, we think that that's one of the areas which has to be addressed. That's why I was saying we, we are applying now or we are having discussions on how do we make this a Schedule 3A, which should have a full board with fiduciary duties. But part of that is for such, for such an entity to be able to recruit the proper skills because you're not going to run this along the departmental lines and think that an insurance like this one, uh, which needs uh, technical and financial skills, can just be run along the lines of, of, of the department. I think as part of what we call the organizational review, we want to dive deep into, into the structural issues. We think also they do contribute, but we can't just hide behind that. There are areas of neglect which deals with the control which should have been done properly. And uh, we must investigate why some of the things are persisting and why do, don't you have uh, documentation which is backing up uh, the payments which are being done. That's, that's what I can say. I'm not sure if the DG would want to also uh, make an addition or the deputy minister and the DG. Yeah, no, still on that, I think you would agree with me that you don't need a forensic investigation for basic controls. You don't have to waste money, institute a forensic for basic controls. Those that are responsible for basically record keeping, payment that cannot be, what, what, what has been done in that regard? Who are these responsible persons? who ought to have a, 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 a instituted consequence management and did not play his part. What has been done? We need those individuals. We're following money at the same time, following individuals who did not. We can't, like I said, it can't be. As things stand. So in responding to that question, also touch base on the lack of basic controls. I mean, these executives are rated on the uh, higher scale. They're getting money monthly, but for decades, we're not seeing results. Can you turn things around with the current crop that is there? Are they equal to the task? Are they doing their work? Thank you. Thank you, uh, Chairperson. That's why I was talking skills audit, but we must be systemic uh, and also systematic when we're dealing with these issues. Uh, I am of the view, but I think the investigations which we're going to do might be able to help me, that the current crop, unless something is done, 
I don't know. I don't know whether it's correct to say training, but people have been appointed in key uh, strategic positions. They are deputy directors, they are directors, they are chief directors, COOs, CFO, up to the, 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 the commissioner. Uh, they are supposed to be having these skills to deal with the basic issues. But I don't think they are up to task. That's a matter which we will have. We must follow immediately. And I think that's what the, 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 the AG, that's what the AG is saying that there's no consequent management. And if people are failing to deal with very, very basic, basic, basic issues. And I think you're right on those areas, on the basic controls. And I think the AG's report has gone um, very deep on these issues, what has not been done and so. And uh, with the DG, we have said, let them work with the, the commissioner and tell us who are the officials who are responsible for this, so that we are able to deal to deal with them and uh, engage in the necessary processes to make them to make them account for this rot which you are referring to, Chairperson. But maybe I can allow the DG to make his additions in this particular area. You chair. Thank you, uh, Chairperson and the honourable members. Chair, um, the, I, I agree you don't need to institute um, forensic audit to deal with lack of controls. But if you're dealing with systemic um, challenges that we've been dealing with at the, at the compensation fund, um, I think you do need to have that kind of a forensic audit. The, the audit that we're referring to, uh, that, that um, we've been brought to SCOPA for is a 2019-2019 financial year. Now, during the course of that um, year, all the transactions that are in question were on the old system that we're using that is called Umethuko. Now, part of the plans that we've put together, uh, that the fund puts together, um, was to move from an old system into a new system. Now, in the process of uh, diagnosing what was the problem, um, it, it was made clear that um, this, the, the system that we're using was the problem. It didn't have a, a compensating um, controls to be able to, um, to assist the fund to process the transactions um, you know, properly. So we moved into the new um, into the into the new system. Now, what would be interesting um, for us is that, um, especially for me, is that having uh, been given the assurances that the new system will deal with the, um, a, a quite a number of the um, the controls that were not there. And, and will eliminate a number of the findings that, uh, uh, that were raised by, uh, by AG. Um, it will be interesting to see um, whether that indeed has happened because then it will give us the basis, it will give me as a basis to, to act on the uh, failures by management not to, be, not to do what they, support, that, that what they were supposed to do. Because a number of the repeat findings 
um, were systems related, given the fact that things were done uh, manually, record keeping um, uh, continued to be a problem. So the intention um, is to act on the, um, the AG findings and hold uh, officials that did not do what they're supposed to do um, accountable. Thank you, Chair. Can you also respond to the structural issues in relation to uh, the, my first question? Uh, is it giving you the desired outcome? Your advice? Yeah, it's not. It's it is not giving us a, a desired outcomes, um, and that's why the minister made the point that um, we should we we're looking at um, you know making sure that the fund becomes a. A, a full uh, scheduled 3A um, entity. It is a, a 3A entity, but that is linked to the, um, that is tied to the department. Um, and that is tied to the department due to the, uh, how the, 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 um, the, the, the act that controls the fund or the administrative uh, legislation that, um, it gives uh, rise to the existence of the compensation fund. It ties the compensation fund to the department. Um, for instance, the compensation fund literally doesn't have its own employees. All the employees that are, um, th that are providing or that work for the fund are the employees of the department that are seconded to, uh, to, to the fund and that are paid by the department and uh, claim the money to the uh, to the compensation fund. So, so that that arrangement is really not um, it's not working for us. And 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 to and to show that it's really not not working, we have been struggling to um, to appoint um, highly qualified people into into key positions in the um, in the fund. And then that is why we resorted in, 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 in training uh, our own uh, people, um, getting the learners and um, you know, uh, train them so that we can acquire the skills that we, that, that we have. Because um, if we continue to, um, if the fund continues to be, um, you know, to be under the, the public service uh, regulations, that are very, very limiting um, and not, does not provide space for, um, you know, for professionalism in, 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 or for us to appoint professional people at, uh, at a competitive, uh, uh, you know, uh, packages will continue to, um, to experience the challenges that, that, that we have. So that's why the minister made the point that we need to move into a, a full-scale 3A um, entity so that even issues of systems and all that, we're not um, constrained by the, um, the, 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 the policies that, are, that, that currently exist. We have to do everything through, for instance, on systems, we have to do everything through CETA. Um, and as a transactional department, we cannot afford to have instances where our systems are, are down. Um, and that's what, these are the realities that, uh, that we find ourselves in. Thanks, Jack. Uh, no, no, thanks, 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 DG.
Uh, which brings me to my question in terms of your um, record keeping. I'm interested to know at this current juncture, how do you store and keep your, your document? Because there is lack of assessment when it comes to documentation. That's one. And I also want you to respond to the issue of um, return of earnings. Why there's currently a backlog in processing the return of earnings? Are all your the employers registered? It seems as if there is no compelling reason that forced employers to register. Do you have an enforcement unit in place that will ensure that all employers are registered? For example, we all submit annual uh, uh, tax return with SARS. It is a, a known fact and it's compelling for each and every one of us to comply with SARS requirement. Is that the case when it comes to the fund? Are all employers registered? And if not, what are the contributing factors that leads to the, the, the employers not registering? Are they compelled by law? Yes, they are compelled by law. But is that being practiced in reality? Just give us a sense on those three questions. The issue of ROEs, the issue of record keeping, your, your, your current uh, modus operandi in terms of storage and keeping of, of records and the issue of registration of the employers. Thank you. Chair, on the, on the record keeping, I indicated that we, um, we initially, um, maybe let me just go back a little bit. Um, prior to uh, 2014, everything at the compensation fund was done manually. So record keeping um, was done uh, manually. And that's why when you visit the compensation fund, you'll see all files uh, strewn all over the, pra- the place um, because things were done manually and there was no proper record keeping. And that, and, and, and that is why we can't find some of the documents that we're looking for now because of the manner in which things were done. So in the middle of uh, 2014, um, the department moved, I mean, the fund moved um, onto a new system, Umefruko. So a number of these documents were scanned onto the uh, into the system, uh, Mefluka system. However, this not not everything was fully automated. So that is why you could still find um, you know documents that were that you still find a situation where if you're looking for documents now you can't find them because um, everything is still some of the documents were left on the legacy systems they were not migrated onto the um, onto the, the new system so when we when the fund moved onto um Umethuko, so what they would do they would um employers would then scan documents onto the system and um onto the Umethuko system and because it has been the the, the custom uh, to keep or for employers to submit double cl1 and double cl2 which are the uh, documents that are required to report um, an incident and also submit the claims. Um, 
the fund in, we will keep those and when AG comes, they will produce those documents. So when the fund move over to the Umethukum in an attempt to automate all the systems, they did away with that, um, with having the, some of them, the, the, the hard copies. And, and that created a problem because you now, even though you have these things automated, you don't have um, the hard copies to show to the AG that this is the source document that you uh, that was that was used. So in the new system, the comp is a system that has been developed. So that has been taken into in, into account, um, and the system is is fully automated. Um, the the source document is attached to the document that is is is, is scanned, and that's how the system um, has been configured. Um, to make sure that there's proper uh, there's proper record keeping and there's nothing that there's nothing that falls into um, into a crack. Now, but you still um, have issues with regards to the old um, uh, legacy uh, information that um, that that is not available, and that is why in the in the in the in the audit findings. There's, there's still reference to the um, the, the old information uh, or the, the old information that is not uh, that is not available. So the backlog on the ROE, the, the return of um, the return of, of return on earnings, um, it is is a matter that AG has raised, and this has been in the issue for for quite a long time. And it's been caused by um, one of the biggest um, challenges that we experienced was that you have the classification um, of, uh, of uh, uh, sectors, which um, I think we had just over 100 um, class subclasses. Um, and you'll remember that, uh, that um, some of the um, employers, and that's why you have RMA and uh, FEMA. Some of the employers in the subclass, uh, in the subclass um, uh, iron and steel and, and uh, construction were given to those two um, mutuals. Now, this proved to be a serious problem because a number of the companies were registered in this, in this uh, class, and yet, they are doing something that is completely different and they never updated their, their documents on the system. And that's why you find now we have a lot of employers who are coming uh, to us, even to me personally, to say we've been registered um, as a construction company and yet we're not constructing anything. And over the years, we've had companies who wanted to come and um, and get refunds on the basis that they were correctly, they were incorrectly uh, classified. So we have changed that now. Um, the, the minister published after a lengthy period um, at, at NEDLEC, uh, which took about three years, uh, a new classification, which moved us from 100 and something uh, classes um, to just 13 uh, classes. And that makes life much more uh, easier, and we're only implementing that in this in this financial year 20, uh, 2021. 
So, so that's where we are, and we think that uh, this will go a long way in making sure that uh, it improves the, the, the situation. And uh, now on, the, on whether, you know, we are compelling employers to, uh, uh, to register with a compensation fund. Obviously, Chair, um, the Honorable Hadev has indicated that there is a legislation. Legisl- legislatively, they are compelled. But we, we are unable to go to um, every workplace and make sure that they are employers do register on the on on um, on, on register on the compensation fund uh, system. We've had discussions with SAS to make sure that um, in a similar way that they collect for for you for unemployment insurance fund, they also assist us, and the discussions are are still. Um, underway and and SAS has highlighted the fact that um, compensation fund operations are a bit uh, uh, complicated. Um, We need to have a further discussion to see how we can align um, the work that is done by the compensation fund with the the system that uh, SAS is using so that they're able to collect on behalf of the of the compensation fund. But I agree with you that the lack of um, collecting, um, making sure that every employer collects has an impact on the revenue that the compensation fund collects. Um, and, and, and that is why AG has raised the concerns that they, um, they have raised. The, the uh, compensation fund commissioner chair uh, can add to, um, to, to the points that I've made. Thanks. Um, are there any additions? Commissioner? Thank you. Thank you, Chair. And good morning to the honorable members. I think the DG has captured the essence of the issues that we've had in the fund with regard to the control environment. I think safe to say that we've, I think over the last uh, five years, we have been implementing a, a, a plan to which included the replacements of the systems as well as automating a number of issues related to submission of ROEs and managing uh, the revenue aspects of the fund in addition to, uh, to, to the claims. We have seen also a lot of policy changes over the last uh, 24 months uh, aimed at addressing some of the uh, control weaknesses that had been identified that existed within our revenue management space. And we will start to see the impact of some of those policy changes over the, uh, the, the coming uh, audit years. Thank you, Chair. Now, uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Commissioner. In, in in relation to employers who are active at the fund, um, they, they're supposed to be assessed regularly, but this does not happen. So can you tell us what are the reasons uh, for this not taking place? And secondly, who are the officials responsible? Have they been held accountable for non-compliance? As I've told you, this is an interactive session. I ask a question, you will follow with the response. My question is in relation to active employers at the fund who are supposed to be assessed regularly and they are not. What are the reasons? 
uh, uh, contributing to such non-compliance? Who are these officials that are involved? And what has, they, what has happened to such? So the, the, the assessment process follows the submission of return of earnings. So the big problem we have is the problem of compliance from the employers themselves. So if an employer has not submitted uh, has not submitted a return of earnings, such an employer cannot be assessed because we don't have a return to assess. So we have found that though we have a set of active employers who may have uh, submitted returns based on the definition of an active employer, but uh, if in subsequent years these employers do not submit returns and such, such employers then are not able to be, to, be, to be assessed. So one of the things that has been done with the department was the creation of a payroll audit uh, unit within the inspections of the department. So this payroll uh, audit unit, it has been established to then assist us to audit and to be able to go and inspect such employers who do not uh, comply. So the unit has been in existence for the last, uh, 12 months or so. So we have then been starting to give a number of cases to, to them so that they can then go and inspect and check on these employers. And obviously once these employers come in and submit uh, their returns, we then are able to, uh, to assess them. One of the weaknesses that existed was that accounting standards do allow us to be able to make some provisions for employers who would have been registered with the fund but have not been assessed and submitted uh, returns. However, the, I think the biggest problem has been that these provisions have not been uh, raised the, in the correct manner that they need to be raised. And part of it was due to issues related to skills and some of the system limitations. But I think a lot of these we've now addressed with some of the enhancements that we've done in our systems. So it should not be a, a, a major issue going forward, the, the issue related to raising provisions for such employers. Now, thanks. In, 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 in relation to your, your skills audit, you've mentioned uh, the minister and the DG spoke about the skills audit. Have you at this current juncture uh, conducted the skills audit to verify or ascertain that you have indeed the necessary and requisite skills or the, the current staff complement it's not equal to the task, which is obviously the case, but have you proactively uh, conducted the skills audit? And what have you found uh, uh, when you concluded that process? If you have not concluded, why you have not started? Also tell us, when are you planning to conduct the skills audit? Thank you. Uh, so at the, beginning of our, at the beginning of the implementation of our turnaround plan, the first thing that we did was a skills audit to determine what are the skills gaps that exist in the compensation fund. It is based on that skills audit uh, that we then started the restructuring of the compensation fund. Uh, the minister in the beginning spoke about the compensation fund being a pension fund, a health administrator, a insurance. So, so. Commissioner, uh, please also give us dates. We want to assess whether your turnaround is yielding positive results. So when you say to me, we have conducted the skills audit, tell us when, so that your response indicates to me and ought to reflect improvement. 
So without dates, I can't be able to assess whether there's improvement or not. From what I've seen and from what is before us, you are still the same as you were 10 years ago. So give us dates. So in 2015, 2016, that's when we did the skills audit. And following the results of the skills audit in 2016, we then started a restructuring process, uh, redesigned the whole structure of the compensation fund, which was then approved by the minister in 2017. And in terms of this, then it created additional capacity that we required in finance. Part of the gaps that the skills audit had found was that we also lacked skills in the clinical as well as the health uh, related skills to administer medical claims, as well as some of the actuarial skills that we lacked in the fund. So when we redesigned the structure and restructured, we then created these uh, components within the fund. So we have filled the post over the course of the 2017 until 2019 year. So the structure that we have now and the people that we have now have been appointed as a result of, uh, of the skills audit that we've done. But the DG has touched on an important point that the fact that we appoint uh, people in the compensation fund in terms of the public service regulation, even though we come with the right uh, structure and skill requirements, the fact that we are not paying uh, salaries that uh, similar skills would attract in the private sector. So that makes it difficult for us to be able to uh, attract some of the skills that we've identified that we are lacking. So in essence, you have attracted the wrong people. Uh, you, you have conducted skills audit, you, you have uh, recruited accordingly. What skills, expertise and experience are these people bringing except maladministration? If uh, we're in 2021 now, you're saying you have dealt with the issue of skills in 2017, 2019, 2021. What is it that they are to the table except maladministration? What is before us is a clear and complete a, a, a broken rotten business then if the skills audit has been conducted why do we still having missing document um i'm i'm confused because i thought we would propose a, a, a skills audit and that has been taken care of we still face with a si- similar situation i i, I think a, a, a chair here we need a, a really as an Scopa to propose that we, we that there should be a full forensic audit investigation in terms of these missing documents. If there are still issues that dates 10 years ago, yet the skills aspect and the right caliper has been recruited to the fund, what then do you expect from these people if nothing positive has been produced? Please share the light with me. Perhaps I'm missing something. Honorable uh, Hatebe, so, the, so the, 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 the challenges of the fund, so we the skills audit was addressing the people issues, but the challenges of the fund also include system issues uh, and process issues. So part of the things that we needed to do once we got the skills was then to look at addressing some of the systemic issues or the system issues that we had. So a lot of uh, weaknesses in controls, in some cases, even absence of such controls, was also because of the systems that we had, and they may have been configured uh, at the time when the fund did not have the relevant skills to make sure that these systems are configured uh, uh, adequately. 
So what has been done then over the last uh, three years has been this process of number one, developing the a new claims management system with all the added controls and the required controls that we, uh, that we need. Uh, in addition also with then, because we had an existing financial management system that we're using, that also required some uh, uh, major enhancements on it to be able to make sure that we address uh, some of these, uh, these issues. So that's 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 why uh, uh, we started with getting the right people on the on, on the bus, and then once that is is what had happened, we then started making sure that we then address uh, these. Without some of these skills that we were able to attract clinical skills and so on, we would not have been able to have developed the kind of claim system that we've now developed in in, in the new system. That, that, that's precisely that you have recruited these skills and expertise in order for you to assist in developing proper systems in place. Now, those systems have not yet yielded positive results. Uh, so the question is really, what needs to be done in order for the systems to, 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 to produce the desired outcome? You have recruited people. And those people are charged with certain responsibility. And I'm sure one of those is to ensure internal controls, effective systems are put in place. We are told that the system that we have been using has not been uh, uh, producing results. You are now, you have now uh, opted to get another system. System is operated by individuals and within the, the, the value chain and the process for each and every individual it's responsible for achieving certain uh, results and that has not been forthcoming. So we can't from time to time blame the system as if the system operates automatically. It's not controlled by individuals. So one of, one of the, so we implemented the, for the claim system was implemented at the end of the 2019-2020 financial year. So we were unlikely to even see the impact of it on the audit report that is in question. The AG has started the audit for the 2020-2021 financial year. And it's the year, the financial year in which we used the system for the full year. So all claims that we've processed have been processed uh, using the, uh, the new claims management system. We are expecting a different audit outcome with regards to claims in the current year because of the changes that we had made uh, in the system. The big challenge is having to then go back and clean up the prior period issues that would have been raised in the, in the, in, in the old systems because some of them would then still have an impact on some of the items that, um, some of the items that are sitting on our balance sheet the minister earlier on referred to the clean audit task team that we had established. So part of the work that we're doing through that team is then looking at all these prior period issues and uh, working with management to make sure that we then correct uh, those that are not correctable and the ones that are not correctable, look at ways that we can then try and uh, clear them off, uh, off, off, off our books. So you're saying with, with your current system, the issues that have been raised by AG for an example, that there are non-dependents over 18 years who are receiving monthly pensions uh, because of your inadequate control system around claims. So are you saying that has been taken care of? 
have you also dealt with the responsible individual and officials for this uh, uh, corrupt practices where you had non-dependent over 18 years receiving monthly pension? So, so that's that's a, so it is completely possible for an over 18 year old to get pension. So in the findings where that's where, for example, you could not then be able to produce because if a person is over the age of 18 and then that person is still uh, attending school, such a beneficiary is entitled to continue to receive a dependence pension from the compensation fund. So part of the big issue was the record keeping issue that the DG has spoken about, which uh, we are addressing. Part of the other issues that we've done when we moved and migrated to the new system was to migrate the data from the old systems to the new system. But working, going with the migration of the data to the new system was also the cleansing of such a data, where we needed to refresh some of the old IDs that uh, uh, were issued in, in, in prior years where a person has been a pensioner, maybe even before the new ID system was utilized. So a lot of those cleanup has been done, the link up with the, uh, with the Home Affairs database to make sure that when people are captured on the system, we can be able to retrieve the information from Home Affairs. So all those things are now done, are in the, in the new system. So when you're saying, are you no longer paying money to deceased individuals? Have you, have you uh, cleared it? And how much have you lost uh, uh, in that aspect? The AG also find out you've been paying money to deceased individuals. So be specific when you're saying you have cleanup. I'm just highlighting a, a specific issues, but the, the, there's more to it than what I'm highlighting to you. I've, I was just giving you a case in point so that you understand the issue that we, we're referring to when we talk about your malfunctioning systems and weak internal controls. So certainly, sir. So we, we, are, we have cleaned up. We now in the process of looking, we're cleaning up our pensioners database, for example, so that we can determine how much of the pensioners database is no longer a valid pensioners, either because of either age or because of the fact that the persons are not no longer in existence. So those issues we've eliminated completely. Um, can, you, can you confirm, can you say with authority that you are no longer paying deceased individuals? We are no longer paying deceased individuals. How much have you lost in the process? We don't have, have a quantified have, have you quantified that value? Have you held a, a responsible official to account? Have you effected consequence management in that regard? We haven't quantified because we're still interrogating all the issues that have been raised by, by the AG with regard to this issue. Because not so how, everything. How do you know that? How do you know that we are no longer paying them? You have not been able to quantify them. I've indicated the link that we have now that our ICD database that we integrate to that is managed through the department. That database has been refreshed, and which is the database that feeds all systems of the department with home affairs data. So that so, work has been done. So you could be able to tell us how much we've lost and how many deceased individuals have you been paying. So once we're done with the quantification, yes. Come again? Once we're done with the quantification, which we will be able to do. To do so, so at this current uh, juncture, you, you don't know uh, the extent and, uh, and the loss that w was incurred? No, we don't, sir. And when can we expect uh, uh, such a, a report? 
So this is part of the work that the Clean Audit Task Team is busy with. As I said, we're trying to, to correct all the prior year period errors. So we've set ourselves until end of this financial year to clean up all the prior period errors. There has to be milestone projections and timeframes. You so break it down the, in, in, into uh, achievable targets. We are busy with the with the with the with the process, the planning process, and the diagnostic process. So we should be able to submit. We will submit a plan to the uh, to the committee by the end of June of what uh, are the milestones of the different areas that we are going to look at in the prior period areas. So in, uh, in terms of these controls, you are giving us surety that a report will be forthcoming to SCOPA in June. Yes, sir. With all the details, including the consequence management that has been taken if anyone found to have been uh, in the wrong in terms of non-compliance. I was committing to the plan. You asked a question around the what are the timeframes for dealing with this, and I indicated that we're doing that assessment now in terms of what is the work that needs to be done to correct the prior period errors, and the team is putting together that plan so that we know what is prioritized in the next six months, in the next nine months, or twelve months, and so on. So we will be able to submit that plan at the end of June. But and the work it will be part of the plan. So once we've established and we know who's responsible for what activity, who was accountable, that consequence management will then follow. So you, you, it's possible that we are sitting with uh, officials who are continuing doing malpractices, uh, maladministration, and they have not been identified. Until such time where you arrive at that point, those people would continue with uh, the, the, the maladministration and corruption practices that they're currently doing. Is that the possibility? Right now, we can't tell, we can't uh, 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 for certain say these are the people responsible for the status quo within the fund. So I would not even say that it's because of officials because a lot of these issues are system issues, systemic issues. Uh, we pay and we have people that exist in the system. But who drives the system? Based on the- who on the, on the, the Who recommends the system? Who administers the system? It's process management, yes. Yes. Now, when the system fails, who must account? Should we, should should we charge the system? No, 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 it should, be, it should be those that are responsible if the issues have been uh, raised and we've not addressed them. So definitely we need to answer for There are basic controls here. I want to get those uh, uh, officials. We're talking about decades of rot here. Uh, give us a sense of comfort that you are dealing with these individuals. Where officials have found to be... There can be double payment. There can be a, a, a payment to people that have passed on. You can't use the debt to amass wealth and there is no consequence. And you can't blame the system for such. System is administered, run, processed by individuals. You deliberately cho choose to punch in detail of a person who is no more. 
amassing wealth because that money does not go to the grave. It goes to someone's account and that money gets consumed by someone. It is not consumed by the disease or that does not go to the grave. I'm saying show a sense of agency that you also appreciate that what is currently happening should not continue. I have not dealt with irregular, fruitless, and wasteful expenditure. I'm coming to that. All my colleagues will touch base on that. But give us a sense that the basic controls, you are dealing with those. Like I said earlier on, you don't need a forensic investigation. You don't need a team of experts to tell you this official has been not complying. If senior leaders are tolerant to non-compliance, the attitude for your subordinate won't change at all. By the look of things, it seems as if you are tolerant to non-compliant. Decades of disclaim adverse audit finding. I'm hoping, I was hoping this time around, you would have said heads have rolled in this department. Heads must roll. Thanks, People sir. must account for their actions. So, Honorable Hatebe, where people have been found to be on the wrong and the people have contributed to losses for uh, in the fund, if it's internal officials, disciplinary action is being taken against them. And there's been a number of dismissals that we've had. If it's external parties, we have open cases. There's active cases that are open with the uh, South African Police Service. Some matters have even gone before the courts with some people having been uh, found guilty. So that work is being done. So, who paid, so tell me, who paid deceased individuals? So I want to give context to the issue of the deceased individuals. So we have, once a person has been declared permanently disabled, such a person is entitled to a monthly coit pension from the compensation fund. Or if a person, uh, if the injury resulted in a fatality, then the dependents of such a person would then be paid a monthly pension, a survivor's pension from the compensation fund. The issues that the age had found was that in some instances, you found that even though you had been continuing to pay pension over the years because a person was alive, it may be that for a month or so, if a person is deceased, the pension was paid uh, because either the system had not then been updated with the information from home affairs to alert the department that a specific person is, uh, is now deceased. I think those are the circumstances. There is no claims where, for example, we'll be processing a claim of somebody who's deceased. In some cases, you have instances where cases are clear fraudulent cases where either a deceased person's ID has been, or a, another person's ID has been hijacked and you find that a claim has been processed based on a hijacked uh, ID. So there is no deliberate, uh, we haven't found so far any deliberate action of an official who then goes out to want to capture a claim of a deceased person and pay such a deceased person. Thank you, sir. Chairperson? Um, Honorable Chair? Uh, the Honorable Hattebe? Yes, I wanted to check, do, do we have SIU uh, present in our meeting? SIU should be here, yes, and the AG. I, I also want to get a sense from them whether or not they have been uh, uh, delivered. All right, yeah. yes. 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 Can we get a, 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 
an input from SIU in relation to these issues, uh, if they have engaged or attempted to pursue uh, the, the, the shenanigans, for lack of a better word, and, and corruption that has been taking place. Right, SIU. Yes, thank you, Chair, and uh, good morning to the Minister, Deputy Minister, the DG, and all the members. I just want to, uh, on that question, confirm that we have not received any request to um, investigate any matter at the compensation fund at this point, but we are obviously uh, willing to assist wherever we can. If the Auditor General report can be made available to the SIU, we would certainly review it. And the DG is aware of the fact that we are currently doing work within uh, the UIF and uh, the Labor Activation Programme. So we will certainly um, take this on, review it, and then uh, if there's sufficient evidence, uh, we would then recommend uh, or request a proclamation from the president, and we would certainly be willing to assist there. Thank you, Jay. All right. No, that's okay. fine. Let's do this. Honorable On that SIU message, let's hold that in abeyance. Yes, yes, yes. We'll see how we incorporate the SIU into the roadmap moving forward at the end of the meeting. Uh, let's just hold the SIU aspect in abeyance momentarily. All right, no, uh, cool. Uh, thanks, Chair. I would like to deal with the irregular, fruitless, and wasteful expenditure so, so that I can also give my colleague uh, uh, time to engage. Um, you have not been acting on your irregular, fruitless, and wasteful expenditure, and some of the expenditure, it's difficult for AG to get the sense of the extent of the irregular expenditure. Can you give us a sense and take us through what has been done in relation to irregular and fruitless expenditure in relation to the National Treasury guidelines? So part of the work that we've been doing, so we've been working on the fruitless and wasteful expenditure register and uh, the irregular expenditure register now for a number of years. Part of the biggest challenge that had is that, and the DG spoke about it, the fact that historically the compensation fund has not been very good with regards to record keeping and managing records. So we found a situation where the register has a number of cases that you can neither confirm that these are indeed supposed to be on the register or they're not supposed to be on the register because you don't know the background why they led to being to them being in the register. Some of them may have been as a result of an audit finding by the AG in prior years and but they and there wasn't enough done by uh, management at the time to interrogate some of these findings to confirm whether these are indeed uh, irregular or not or if it was a fruitless and wasteful expenditure if this was a not so we then inherited a situation where we've had to clean up this uh, a particular register we have been working to try because one of the things we've also then been uh, struggling to even reconcile it back to the amounts that we have been disclosed in the annual financial statements. In the, in the, in the last year, in this current financial year that just ended, we've actually then just succeeded in trying to clean up this register, in trying to tally what is in the register with what is in the uh, annual financial statements, save for just a few transactions that we're still trying to investigate that uh, do not make sense, that we can't find. But when we look at the register in total, the big problem is also that a large number of these cases, you don't have any supporting documentation that supports it. And that's part of the work that we've been trying to do 
and uh, in consulting national treasury to try. At first, we then uh, took the approach of saying, if we can't substantiate a lot of these cases and we can't also find supporting documentation to support whether these are irregular or not, we should then uh, apply for a mass condonation of these cases and write-off of these cases so that we can then focus on items that we're able to have records and, uh, and, 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 and investigate properly. The advice that came back from National Treasury was that we need to look at each case individually and try and find. So we then had to go back and try and see what information we can find on each of these cases so that we can then submit them to, to National Treasury uh, individually. So now having cleaned the register now, we are now starting that process to now start submitting these individually to the um, to, to, to National Treasury. But there is very little, there is no, in fact, not even little, but there's no hope that a lot of these cases will be able to find um, records. There are a few cases that make up a substantial majority of, uh, of, of, of these cases. When you look at the fruitless and wasteful expenditure, for example, there is one major case that contributes to this, which is a matter that has already been referred to the uh, state attorney for, for, for recovery of a fruitless and wasteful expenditure relating to a payment that was made to a contractor which was deemed to be a payment in respect of a breach of, uh, of, of contract. And then we have also a number of advance payments that were made by the fund in 2012 to medical service providers, as well as some of the third party agents who represent medical providers. Uh, and these, we are now attempting to recover these, uh, these monies that were paid because they were deemed to be regular. And we have already started processes with the state attorney for civil proceedings against the parties. Two of the parties have already agreed to a, a settlement agreement with the fund. So now the process that we're busy with is then trying to identify those claims that would be used as part of the settlement agreement to be able to net them against the uh, irregular. But in the main, most of the cases, we don't have any information that helps us to be able to move forward with them. There are several um, contracts uh, of liquid telecoms um, that were entered into without a valid contract in 2018. So I just want to understand um, how were they appointed without a valid contract and who are those service providers? So liquid telecom was a service provider that was appointed and there was a contract in place for, uh, for, 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 for liquid telecoms to render data lines to the department uh, as a whole. Uh, the issue that led to the regular uh, transaction there was the fact that the contract expired and it was not renewed because the department was moving uh, its lines to CETA. So the party, there, there, is, there, there was a head of ICT in the compensation fund at the time who was responsible for managing all these contracts. And there has been consequence management that was implemented against the official and uh, with a, a final written warning that was issued against the responsible official. When, when the contract expired, how much were they paid? And how were they paid without a contract? The expiry of contract means the agreement ends. There is no longer legal binding document between the department and the service provider. For how long did that continue? How much was it paid? Who are these officials involved in this transaction? 
That was my question. You have concluded the case. Therefore, it's no longer a matter in progress or pending the outcome. Give us details. And so how much, I, um, uh, in terms of the monetary value, how much was paid in relation to such invalidity? So the, 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 the main, in the contract, when a contract expires, the contract would state that uh, it would be, if, it's the, if there's no notice served on the service provider or either party serves notice, then the contract continues on a month to month process, so which is what the case was. The correct process that needed to have been, the correct process that needed to have been followed in such case would have been for the director ICT then to take the matter to the bid adjudication committee and formally then request, um, to formally request extension of the contract, which is what was not uh, done, which is what made the, uh, the matter irregular. I'm still trying to just look at the, the, the figures that we paid on liquid telecoms. So it's, uh, I think we just looked at it, it's just about a million rents that was paid, uh, just over a million rents that was paid uh, to liquid telecoms. So the contract was not terminated and the payment was made because without the payment, for example, then it would have meant that the services of the department, the online services of the department would also then shut down because this was the contract relating to the data lines that the department uses to communicate between the different buildings and, uh, and CETA. And that's not as if you didn't know that the contract will come to its expiry date on a particular time. So prior approval and authorization from a delegated authority ought to have been sought well in advance. Agreed, sir. Agreed. And that did not happen. That did not happen. Hence, the direct ICT had to be held to account. By a mere letter of warning. That's that's the sanction that uh, was uh, deemed appropriate uh, at the time, sir. Okay. And tell us um, about this month-to-month contract with First Property uh, for more than 20 million. So first property also was a, a service provider that, so the, in, initially the compensation fund used to run, to have, uh, because our processes were manual, so we had massive uh, loads of paper that were stored files that were to be stored in different warehouses. So first property was one of those service providers that then housed the, uh, the properties or the documents of the compensation fund. So in a similar manner to liquid, also there the contract expired and it was not approved. There was no regular processes that were followed then to get this extended and it continued on a month to month while the, uh, the, the fund was retrieving the documents from, from the warehouses because we had already started uh, in a, a process of uh, an electronic storage of, of documents after having appointed a service provider to do so. So even there, we have because this dates back to uh, to 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 the contract also dates back to a couple of years back. So what we've done, we've then requested an investigation into this, and following the investigation, we'll then be able to uh, hold the responsible officials to account. So no action has been taken against any official as yet with regard to that. And I suspect it will be a, a letter of a written warning. 
Why are you not negotiating the lease prior to their expiry date? Project management. Basic stuff. You know when the lease or a contract will expire. What are you doing to, to stop this? Now it's a clear indication that these are not isolated events. I've just demonstrated to you another case. So it's again speaks to issue of senior management being tolerant to non-compliance. You are saying in this matter, you have not even started with the process of identifying the responsible person. 20 million gets paid month to month, month to month. Do you also struggle with issues of project management? I think contract management was a big major issue that uh, we saw as a weakness and a gap that we had in, in, in the fund. So which we are working with the CFO now to, to, to address to make sure that we don't have these incidences of breach. And I think if we look at it, say for, for issues related to first uh, properties as well as uh, liquid telecoms, we haven't had major issues related to extension of contracts that have been done uh, irregularly. When has the issue of a first property started? And why have you not acted uh, up to now? When did the, their contract expire? And when did you start with a month-to-month contract with them? So the contract would have expired around 2018, but the matter was brought to the, to, it came to my attention when there was a request made for the payment of, um, of the outstanding rentals for that, for, for, for that period, which was uh, in, 20, in 2020. And I think it's at that time that we then said that we must have a formal investigation into the whole matter so that those that are responsible should then be held to account. So from 2018 to date, you've been paying first property on month-to-month basis and you have not concluded an investigation. We, 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 we received the contract, the contract expired in 2018. You're still paying them month to month. You have we paid no them, yes. We paid them until uh, I think middle of 2020, when because the process was the retrieval of documents from the warehouses, so that they can be sent for electronic storage. So uh, it didn't continue beyond that point. So from 2018 until 2020, it continued on a month to month basis. On a month to month, yes. 2021 you still have not concluded the investigation. Someone processed payment. You don't know who that person is. So the person who processed the payment is not the person at fault. So the person who was responsible for managing the contracts and looking at the circumstances, what has happened there, that's where we will find who is at fault, not necessarily the person who pays. So you have not uh, 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 found who was at fault. How long should it take to deal with such a simple matter? Because a person that process payment gets a request from someone. 
it takes three years to identify an individual. It doesn't take three years, Honorable uh, Khadeb. But as I said, we then found in 2020, that's when we issued that instruction for Meta to be investigated. So unfortunate is that I think the processes that we are taking to deal with the cases of fruitless and wasteful expenditure and real expenditure seem to be long, which is one area that uh, we have also been uh, critiqued on, uh, that we need to find a way to deal with these things much faster than we are dealing with them now because of the, because we then have to do the determination process through the financial misconduct committee. And only then do we then start the, the, the process of, uh, of, of, of holding people to account. I think that process is taking long and we have agreed that we need to review it so that we can deal with these things uh, much quicker. Part of the things that also uh, hindered our progress is the fact that we had to do this process of working on cleaning up the register. So it also stopped us from doing a lot of other things because of the limited resources that we had to manage this whole register. So you honestly want us to believe that it's difficult to identify an official responsible for first property, yet transactions were able to be processed. When it comes to consequence management, it then becomes practically impossible for you to identify individual. Yet, in terms of payment processing, such it's done without any hindrance. Do you honestly want us to believe that is the case, that you are faced with serious challenge and difficulties to an extent that you are able to make payments, but you don't know who process and request these payments? I'm not saying the person who finally make the payment, but the initiator of these payments and the person getting invoice from the first property who then see it as a normal way of doing things. You can't, as a fund, identify the culprit. It's a tedious process. It's very difficult for you to do that it will require another uh, a couple of months to ultimately get into the bottom of this issue. So and when you finally do, you will give that person a written warning. So we need to, we also then need to, when we do embark on consequence management, we need to make the job of our ER officials easier. So it would be an easier thing to just pick one person in the group of people that are working with us and say, we're going to charge you, but, and go to a disciplinary hearing and lose a matter because the person is not responsible. But then investigations allows you to be able to look at the underlying issues and along the value chain, who was responsible for what and who did what, because that would also then determine the extent of the sanctions that you're going to uh, give to those that are responsible in the in the in, in the transaction. When exactly is identify this? Left to let's just check when it was registered on the on the on the register. And how far is the process?
Pardon me, honorable member, I'm just looking at the documents here. Can you find them? Looking for them on the on the on the on the supporting documentation to the register. So we'll check if it's one of those. But this do, do you have documentation? Okay, can you ask, I'm sure you're working with a, a, a collective. Uh, can you ask uh, 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 your subordinate to assist you with the, 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 the relevant documentation? I want to go to fruitless and wasteful expenditure, but you have submitted to National Treasury uh, 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 a condonation, yet you have not completely dealt with the processes that needs to be followed for you to arrive at a decision to condone. You are fully aware of the National Treasury regulations. You were not uh, 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 given them when you started requesting for condonation. Am I correct? That you were privy to National Treasury regulation prior approaching National Treasury for condonation. Is that correct? In terms of national treasury regulation, they, they talk about the accountability cycle. They talk about the accountability in terms of in-year monitoring. It's, it talks about the checklist and a lead schedule that on month to month, you need to have an updated uh, checklist you need to track all your irregular expenditure. You need to keep an up-to-date uh, uh, schedule for all your irregular expenditure. Before approaching National Treasury for condonation, you must have satisfied yourself that indeed uh, uh, you have done first investigation. You have held an official who is accountable to account. There is a sentence or a sanction given to that particular individual. You have not incurred loss in terms of the fund. Why were all those processes not followed in this regard when approaching National Treasury? Were you trying to protect certain individuals? Because for you to go and approach National Treasury for condonation, responsible officials ought to have been identified. Steps, remedial action ought to have been taken. You need to satisfy yourself that there are measures in place to prevent such from occurring in future. And that has not happened in this case. I'm not saying you are protecting individuals, but for you to approach national treasure to condone without following process and procedures, what led to that? And you, you can't say you only realized when national treasury told you to look into case by case. You ought to have known before. For the mere fact that you knew that there's national treasury and it's the point where you go and apply for condonation, 
it means you were privy to the regulations. Right. So I think as previously indicated, the matters that we took to National Treasury were the matters where we indicated that historically this register has had a lot of information on it, which we cannot substantiate whether these are indeed valid cases of fruitless or wasteful expenditure or irregular expenditure. But they may have been into the register. That, that will arise years. after, sorry, that will arise after an investigation. The point that I'm trying to drive home is that you did not conduct an investigation before approaching National Treasure. If you were to say to me, we have done investigation in this number of cases, these cases are difficult to, to handle, we cannot, therefore we have done everything in terms of the regulations, then we approach it. You are only now saying you're going to look into case by case, only after you have already taken a posture or a decision to condone. No, no, no. So we have cases on the register. We inherited a lot of cases and also as part of the cleanup, trying to get the correction, we've added, there's a lot of cases that were then added onto the register. That relates to priors. I think a lot of these things, some of them date back even 13 years ago. And when we were looking at these things, first to try and deal with them, we then looked at each case, tried to find the documentation that is relevant, that would enable us to be able to determine what went wrong, who were the responsible parties, so that we can determine a way forward in terms of what are the next steps in dealing with those that are responsible as well as dealing with the transaction itself. But after years of searching for these documents, we could not find them. So the first thing that we did was to go to Treasury then and say, we, for, we have a number of these cases, we can't find documentation and so on. We would just want to de-recognize all these from the register so that we don't keep them in the register. And the advice from Treasury was that, no, don't bring it as a global thing. Tell us the circumstances on each case, even if you have to then request uh, the either de-recognition or condonement of these things or write-off if it's a fruitless and wasteful expenditure. Bring it to us on a case-by-case uh, basis. But now when we're preparing this, we also did another check to just see if we can still not find a lot of these documents so that when we do then submit these cases to Treasure, we can say with certainty that we can't find any documentation that supports the fact that this is a fruitless or irregular expenditure. And as a result, that's why we want to be recommending for it to be uh, de-recognized from, 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 from the register. Some of the cases where we could find documentation subsequently and we could prove that these are not uh, cases of fruitless and wasteful expenditure or they are not cases of uh, irregular expenditure, we have then gotten the uh, appropriate authority to, to approve that we, uh, we de-recognize them. I think the reason we also went to National Treasury because of the quantum of, the, of, of, of these cases and the impact they're having on the financial statements. So it, it, it's true and correct that you went to National Treasury without doing a thorough assessment of each and every case. There, there are possibilities that some of the documentation can still be found. No, there isn't. We can't find that document at all. So that is why we're following this process. So now, what is it that you are following when you are taking each case one by one? What, what are you hoping to find? If you're no, saying no, that, you, you are convinced from where you are that there won't be any documentation whatsoever found on these cases. So 
we, we then wanting to get the correct approval to get these cases removed from the register. So that's the process that we follow. What does the process entail? That's the process that advised by Treasury, give us on each case and tell us what is available, what is not available in this document so that we can then be able to tell them so that they can be able to say, okay, yes, uh, this does not, because ultimately whatever sits on the register has to comply 100% with the frameworks that have been issued by National Treasury in terms of what is the regular expenditure and what is a fruitless and wasteful expenditure. And most of the things we have on the register, we are unable to say with 100% certainty that they meet that uh, definition that is in the framework of either irregular or fruitless and wasteful expenditure. The, the dimension data payment of 14.2 million. How was this payment fruitless and wasteful? And who is being held accountable for this expenditure? Uh, Honorable Hadebe, if you may wrap it up. Uh, you can come in so we can give Honorable Lees uh, an opportunity uh, if you can wrap it up sharp. Right. Yes. So uh, I think let me take um, the dimension uh, data payment as the last one, Chair. Like I said, we're dealing with a decade of uh, uh, maladministration here and misappropriation of funds. So I'll try and, and wrap up some of the issues, Chair. Um, Commissioner, the dimension data payment, 14.2 million, fruitless and wasteful. Who is being held accountable for this expenditure? And why were the payments on a garnish order not made on time? And lastly, also the official responsible for such. Um, I think, Chair, Upon receiving the response, Honorable Liz may proceed and take over. Thanks. So, so the, the, the first, the dimension data issue, when the fund entered into a contract with dimension data in uh, August 2019 for the deployment and configuration of the new system, there was a, a number of things that also uh, needed to be done as part of the project. So one of those was for the department to, because all the systems of the, of the, of the fund are hosted uh, in the department's uh, data center. So part of the, the work that needed to happen was also to upgrade the hardware in the data center so that uh, once the initial phases of the project are complete and dimension data is ready to start configuring the system, that configuration can then be done on this new hardware because it had its own specific requirements, which was not aligned to the existing hardware that was in the, in the, in the, in the data center. So by December, when the, when the dimension data was ready to, by December 2019, when the dimension data was then ready to start preparing the hardware for, for a configuration of the new uh, system, the department was had not finalized its procurement processes for um, had not finalized its procurement processes for the procurement of the hardware. Um, so after that, we then had to look at an interim process to be able to start the configuration without compromising the timelines. But this process then meant that for the four weeks in uh, in, in January, 
no actual work could then be done instead of starting with the configuration. So that, in actual fact, then means that the contract had to be, in fact, the term also then had to extend by a further four weeks, which had financial implications of these 14 uh, million rents. So the reason why this was classified was included in the register is because obviously the fruitless universal expenditure says something that could have been avoided or something that we should have done something about. So we included it in the register. So the work that needs to that's happening now is to then take them through, take it through the financial misconduct committee so that they can then satisfy themselves whether this is indeed confirmed as a case of a fruitless and wasteful expenditure. If it's a, if it was there anything that was within the control of the of the fund, or is it something that was beyond control and so on, so that we can then apply the framework if we're going to then write it off and if not, we then be able to then hold uh, those that uh, were responsible for the delay to, uh, to account. Honorable Mazambane, may I take this opportunity and, and hand over to you. But honorable lists, we are in your hands. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Chairman, and uh, a thank you to the Honourable Khatdeva with an H um, for handing over. Um, yeah, Mr. Chairman, let me start by um, saying hello to the Minister. Um, and I have something specially for you, Minister, um, which really comes out of the discussion we've had so far this morning. And Karl Marx is reputed to have used this expression. I don't think he was the originator of it, but he once said, the road to hell is littered with good intentions. And I, I put it to you, Minister, that over a period of 10 years and more, I'm sure there have been many good intentions, but as Honorable Khatteba described it, it's rotten, it is hell. We have arrived in hell. Having made that, that introductory remark, um, Mr. Chairman, let's get to, to more detailed business. I, I just want to comment about the, the kind of panacea that appears to be Putting, being put to us about converting to a full um, 3A entity. At the same time, Minister and to some extent the DG are saying that the employee complement of the fund is simply incompetent or not up to the job. Um, so let's let's put the incompetent word aside, but simply not up to the job. And so the conversion to a 3A entity um, in itself is, is to my mind, um, simply an exercise in empire building um, and, and won't achieve what needs to be achieved. I think that the argument that market-related salaries are not able to be paid is a fiction in the sense that it does not excuse people who have pointed to do jobs 
not to do the jobs as they are appointed to do so. Because much of what is resulted in the disclaimers is basic, basic stuff. No one needs a PhD to store documents. So, and yet, Mr. Chairman, let me just refer you to the annual report for the year that we're looking at. And uh, forgive me for peering because my, my, um, my eyes are still not to scratch. But if you look at page 96, there were a total of seven employees who were given warnings. Now, let me take you back a bit to page 91. So seven employees were given warnings. In page 91, you'll see that there are 815 employees in the head office. The annual report seems to be silent about how many employees there are in the provincial offices. So we don't know that unless the DG or the commissioner can tell us that. So of 815 plus employees, only seven warnings were issued in the entire year, not a single verbal warning, four written warnings and three dismissals. So since 2009, when I became an MP, I've heard on an nauseatingly repeated basis the question about consequence, consequences, consequences. Here we have an entity that is in hell. And in the entire year, only seven warnings or disciplinary actions were, were taken. Of the three dismissals, Commissioner, who were those dismissals and what were they dismissed for, please? Thank you, Honourable uh, uh, List. So the seven dismissals that we had in 2019. Sorry, so the seven, the seven uh, cases where consequence management has taken place, where we yes. had three uh, cases of. So the three cases where uh, officials were, were, were dismissed, it was for soliciting bribery. So all three cases uh, was the same uh, matter. Thank you. So the, it was it was a um, none of the the uh, dismissals were related to the malfeasance in administration that's taken place over the last ten years. So am I? Is it safe for me to say then that no one in that year was dismissed for poor performance um, in in the in their jobs? Fraud has been one of the biggest actually is here also to the challenges that the compensation fund has. So issues around soliciting of bribes and so on. Those are some of the things that 
some officials would have utilized to compromise controls in the, in the, in the front and let, leading to where we are now. So that's why uh, such action has, has, has been taken. So it has a direct link to some of the problems that we have in the front. Okay, so, so you're saying then that, that um, um, it's not a question of skills, it's a questions of basic crookery. So no matter what the skills are, fraud is fraud. Is that right? That's correct. So even if we implement systems, if the so one of the key things once while we improve the system controls, we also then look at also process controls, needing to make sure that those are, are, are intact. And it's because of the uh, controls that we put in place that you're then able to detect and pick up some of these uh, malfeasance that is happening to be able to to deal with it. In these three cases, who would the employees? We will get. We will get the. I don't have the names on my record here. Honourable, uh, honourable, yeah, we'll get, get that. Get that back, Chairman. Um, sir, in terms of of the the um, the returns of earnings, um, the the website has basically been dysfunctional for many years, um, and I have personal experience of it. What is the backlog of returns of earnings as we stand now? How many are there outstanding overdue? So we, we won't have that record now. We are currently in the period or the season of uh, filing of returns. Right? So where we're going to do the assessment. So we'll know at the end of May, once the filing season ends, and this is a process that also is self-administered because employers would then submit uh, their returns on the ROE system and the assessment then happens uh, electronically. So, but we will know at the end of the, of the year how many of the, out of the active employers that we have in the compensation fund system that have uh, submitted returns of earnings and have been assessed. So, Commissioner, so what do you think to me is that for the year that we're looking at, this 2019-20 year, every single uh, employee had submitted a return of earnings. There were none outstanding at the end of that period or even now as we speak. For that particular year and prior years, there are no outstanding returns of earnings. The way outstanding returns, if you look at our annual performance uh, report, it shows out of the total active uh, employers, the 400,000 active employers, only half of those submitted the, their, their returns and the others did not submit, which brings that problem that we spoke about earlier of compliance. Because if an employer has not been assessed, it's because an employer has not submitted a return. And if the employer has not submitted return, then that is non-compliance to the COIT legislation. Okay, so as that was as at the end of the financial year 1920, what is that situation now? For the prior years, forget about the year that's a, that returns are not due for prior years. That was 200,000 for the year before. Um, you're not giving me figures for the 10 years. I'm sure they are 
and 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 I'm really not interested in the employer compliance. We know that employers from uh, will will from time to time not be compliant, but I'm wanting to know the stats. How many of the return of earnings that should have been submitted um, for the years prior to the current year are still outstanding. And it could be up to 10 years that someone hasn't submitted because it seems that the, your, your administration simply doesn't follow up on these and just waits for submissions. Do you not have that figure? I do not have the figure for 10 years, so I would have the figure for last year and we'll have the figure for this year once the, um, the, the assessment season has been completed. But one of the things I indicated was that there has been a creation of a payroll inspection unit uh, in the department. The sole objective of that unit is to be able to address this issue of non-compliance by employers and non-registration, non-submission of returns and non-payment once the return has been has been paid. So that problem is being addressed uh, through the inspections. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated. I mean, if it was your business um, and and your your clients, and you're a monopoly in this, you've got no competition, simply didn't um, provide, I'm sure you would have taken action 10 years ago when the first one did it. And the fact that you don't know which employers or how many employers, at least, you won't know individuals, but at least how many employers or and how many returns are outstanding is, is, is just incredulous, quite honestly. It is just incredulous. Um, so, so, yeah, Mr. Chairman, I, I'm not sure what we're achieving with the, this, this particular hearing, but I'll proceed because um, it seems to me that the, yeah, the, the, it's not just a matter of, of processes and, and it's a lot more than that. For instance, you, you gave us a long story just now, Commissioner, about the classification of sectors and that being an issue with returns of earnings. I put it to you that that is a nonsense, I'm afraid. Returns of earnings are returns of earnings. Doesn't matter what classifications they are. And then the provisional, the provisional assessments it's not something new. It's a very old part of the way the Compensation Commission works. You don't need a, a submission from an employer to raise a provisional assessment. And very often you do do it and you make massive assessments. So it is not an excuse to come to this committee and to say that these are the reasons why the returns of earnings have not been processed. It's simply incompetence. Mr. Chairman, let me talk about the call center. If you can't tell me how many returns of earnings are outstanding, and you can only tell me for a particular year, can you tell me what your email backlog is? How many emails are awaiting a response from the commission? I don't have that information with me. Do you have the information anywhere? Do you get a report as the commissioner 
on a at least a monthly basis on the performance of your call center and the email center where whoever deals with emails that this month we received so many emails we have responded to so many we have a backlog of so many the uif was able to tell us that at the drop of a hat when we visited them a couple of months ago are you saying you can't do the same well if 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 the information was had requested been requested beforehand we would have been able to then provide such information because we do have a dedicated email addresses that clients uh, can send information to and the call center team do keep stats then of how many of them have been attended how many have not been attended we do track that also even in our exco as part of the reporting that happens in terms of the turnaround times in the call center Mr. Chairman, can we get that information while we proceed? Commissioner, could you ask someone in the back room there to get that information for us, please? Um, in terms of, of the call center and the emails, let me give you an example here. Right, so on the 13th of July, 2018, at 10.53 a.m., if you want the time as well, I sent an email requesting details of an employer who had been attempting to register as an employer for, for about three years at that point. Uh, the, the, the registration had been submitted over and over. And so in 2018, I asked for the details. I got no response. On the 22nd of 27th of May, I'm battling with reading here, um, 2020, I then asked again. I did get a reply to that email. 27th of May, I got a reply. On the 26th of August, 2020, simply acknowledging receipt. I, there were further emails. You can probably see them. To date, what are we today? 19th of May, 2021, I have yet to get a substantive reply to the emails that started in 2018. Why is that? Chair, I wouldn't know why the specific matter has not been responded to. Um, safe to say that we know, I think one of the biggest challenges we know we've had has been delays in registration of uh, employers. And it's against that reason why in the ROE online system, two years ago, we introduced an online registration platform so that uh, employers don't have to wait for the compensation fund to process their registration. This registration can be done online and the employer can then instantly be able to get their uh, COID registration number so that they can then be able to submit returns and continue to transact with the, with, 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 with the compensation fund. Part of the uh, restructuring that we did uh, in response to the skills audit was also to be able to address this area of employer services because we saw that's where a lot of the bottlenecks were. And we created a separate employer services uh, unit to be able to then to be more responsive 
to employers with regard to a number of their issues that they're raising. And uh, because of that creation of that uh, separated employer services unit, we're starting to see a lot of uh, feedback. We give responses. Some responses that we give may not be the responses that are liked by employers, but we do then give those responses. And if people are not happy with the response, they obviously then have the right to be able to object to such. And we also do attend to, to, uh, to them. Yeah. So what you're saying then is it should be very easy for whoever receives my email to go onto your system and give me a response if, if it's working. And I put it to you that I doubt that your system is working very well or all the time. But uh, be that as it may. In terms of your claims, um, can you give the committee some stats about claims. Um, how many claims are outstanding, awaiting pro processing? And on average, it's not possible to, to be exact, but on average over a, perhaps a, a year, how, how many claims per day um, does, does the claims department handle? I'm just trying to open the, uh, the document that has the information. But uh, on, on, so we, we haven't looked at it per day, but what we receive uh, claims on average, we receive about 150,000 claims a year that we, uh, we process as the, as the fund. Those are injury claims. And the medical invoices that we receive annually is roughly about, uh, on average, about 800,000 medical claims that are submitted to the compensation fund on an annual basis. In the last financial year, because of the impact of COVID, the lockdown, and the fact that the workplaces went as active for the full year, we had a slightly reduced number of claims that were submitted to, uh, to, to the fund. So the amount of claims that the fund processed last year it was about 99,000. Those are the registered claims uh, in the fund. And the medical invoices that were processed and registered in the fund was about 618,000 uh, medical claims that were submitted and processed. So when we look at the number of claims that uh, were still uh, in adjudication as at the uh, 17th of May, which is yesterday, we're sitting about 17,831. So these are claims that are being worked on currently by a number of the officials. And then we also then have a, about a 92,000 claims that would have been submitted. It may not even be claims that have been submitted this year. It may be claims relating to prior years and years before then, where, for example, the claim has been submitted, but there is no sufficient information to be able to proceed with it. Uh, with 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 such uh, such a claim. Thank you, Commissioner. So in terms of of, um, of of claims, we're looking at a backlog of about one hundred and ten thousand, um, and on medical invoice claims. Chair, I wouldn't call this a backlog because these are claims that we're currently working on. 
Um, so we have that, uh, that number of claims that are currently in the process of being worked on. Others are in adjudication. Others then you're waiting for information. You have made contact with the employer. So you now wait for the information to be submitted so that you can process a claim further. With regard to, 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 to medical claims, so we, we of the 618,000 claims that we received last year, I'm just trying to get to the stats here. Um, so of the, of, the, of the invoices that we, we, we received, so we were able to, to then uh, pay about a, Six hundred and uh, so about six hundred seventeen thousand of these claims that were paid within the, the the financial year. So what we had at the end of the financial year as invoices that still had to be paid, of the three billion rands that we received in claims worth of claims, about one hundred seventy two million rands worth of claims were the claims where that on the thirty first of March had not been a, a been paid yet. And that's for that particular year. And how? And and what is the situation now? You've got it for for the um, other claims. Um, what was the situation yesterday as for for medical claims? So I wouldn't have a situation as yesterday, but I have inf uh, medical claims as at the end of April. So the information from medical claims is quite cumbersome and. Uh, in volumes, so we don't track it uh, on a daily basis the way that we would track the uh, registration of, uh, of claims. Um, so so at, the, at, the, at the end of April, the amount yeah. at the end of business day on the 30th of April that had not been paid in invoices was about 245 million. And how many claims was there? Do you know? 64,000 claims. 64,000. Presumably that, that would equate to, it's 10%, so that's like two months claims of the 618,000. Roughly around yeah. this. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the year that we're looking at, um, the, your annual report indicates that there were a number of, and let me give you the exact number, 51 employees got rewards. What were these rewards for? Given the, the 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 chaos and the mess that the commission, the compensation fund is in, what what did fifty one employees get rewards for? So that's the so there's different people. Yeah, different people responsible for different things in the value chain of uh, administering the compensation fund. Uh, so. There's uh, the fact that the organization is not uh, performing at the ideal levels does not necessarily mean that we, do, we don't have pockets of excellence in terms of some officials that uh, performed far in excess of the, of, of the norm. So it's, I think it's in such instances where performance is then rewarded, good performance is rewarded. That's why there's these 51 cases of people that would have received performance awards. Um, you submit a list of those people and what the each one was, please, Commissioner. We will be able to do that. In that particular year, were were bonuses paid to employees? 
all employees. Was there a bonus scheme? How does your bonus scheme work? Forget about rewards, which are sort of ad hoc decisions, so, I assume. All civil servants, as part of our conditions of service, are entitled to a 13th check. Yes. So the bonus that we see on the financial statements would then relate to the 13th check that gets paid to uh, all officials working in the fund. Irrespective of the performance? Yes. Did you get a bonus? I structured for one, yes. Sure. Okay, thank you. There was 10, 10 million rand spent on training costs. Given the, the degree of skills shortage and so on, and continuing chaos at, at, at the fund, um, why, how, how, we, how do we determine how to, to do this training? What sort of training is it? It doesn't appear to have made much difference. I mean, you, you've basically spent an average of 6,000 Rand per employee trained uh, in that particular year. What, what exactly is this training? So this is a training that responds, I referred to earlier to the skills audit. So this is then a training that responds to the, um, to the skills audit, the areas have been identified, the officials in finance have been trained on, on accounting related training, uh, knowledge of, uh, of, 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 uh, of, of accounting standards and so on. We were also implementing a new system in that year. So there was a lot of training also on the new system. And also in anticipation of the new system, we needed to train a lot of our officials on clinical coding rules uh, because those are some of the skills that we lacked in the fund. So there had to be training that had to go in to make sure that once people are start using the system, they're familiar with the uh, clinical coding terminology and the use of uh, clinical terms in assessing a claim. Doesn't seem to <coughs> very much, I'm afraid, but let's see what the, the next year brings. Um, yeah. Chairman, um, both Honorable Khadeba and I have given the Commissioner, quite correctly, um, a fairly um, in-depth um, um, questioning and 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 got some some answers and some answers perhaps not really what we think they should be but the accounting officer as i understand it is the dg and the dg is getting let off quite lightly here and the change to a 3a entity would put even more distance between the dg and 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 the the fund um i i yeah, the, the, the question really is why, Minister, has the DG not been held accountable for the, the sins of the compensation fund? Um, what we hear from both you, Minister, and, and from the DG is about plans, and there again we get to the, the road to hell and good intentions. But surely, as the accounting officer, the DG, must be held accountable for the mess at the fund.
All the issues I've been raising, I've been raising them with the DG, knowing very well that is the accounting office. And I've indicated what I want to be done and led by the DG as an accounting officer. I've also indicated that if he doesn't um, make people to account, I will also make him to account in terms of consequent management because he's the accounting officer. I'm very clear about that. But I've also taken uh, the point that at operational levels from the commissioner and how that is also structured, that's where things are being cooked. However, I've indicated that if needs be to deal with this consequent management, I have to, to start with the DG. That I've communicated very clearly, which therefore says he must ensure that the commissioner and those in the management of the fund, they are putting their head together. And I think some of the issues were as a result of his initiatives. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Minister. Um, Honorable Khateba started early in the meeting talking about warming up with a cup of coffee. And uh, perhaps um, a little Johnny Walker uh, with you in, in the old assembly is something to look forward to as a warming up. Thank you very much. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Johnny Walker. And why, why did you close that place? Okay. Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> Chair. Come back from there. We, you can walk after the meeting. Chair? Uh, right. Uh, Chair? Please, are there any questions from members? Chair? Uh, be, be, before, um, um, I, I, I would also want members to consider our proposal uh, to, to, to ensure that we give a, a, a meet to our work and uh, that there, there has to be a, a, a speed in terms of the fund instituting forensic audit in, 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 in these issues, especially payments without documentation we, we need uh, uh, the minister to come out very clear and unequivocal to us whether or not such forensic audit will be instituted. And perhaps uh, uh, I would support the view as also clearly outlined and recommended by the AG that they must appear before us on quarterly basis if we were to change the status quo. So that's the proposal and I would love the members to also touch base on, on, on my firm proposal in this regard, Chair. Thank you. No, that, that is fine. We're going to come to that as part of our way forward. Colleagues, are there any other questions or colleagues want to make comments so that we can um, concretize on the recommendation and resolution and adopt it today? 
so that the minister may live with a clear mandate in terms of our expectations. So colleagues, I'll hand over to you. Mr. Chairman, just quickly, um, nothing to add, but there was certain information that we requested from the commissioner. Um, If it's not available now, can we give a deadline of when we'll get it? Uh, Let's give it a week, Honorable Liz. Um, Today is Wednesday, so next week, uh, Thursday, close of business. All the information required. Um, I know that we're all navigating budget votes and the department itself will be doing so. So I'm DG Commissioner. All the information required next week, Thursday, close of business, sent to Sistombi or Putben. We'll do such a... Thank you. Right, colleagues, any other further comments? No, we find uh, no comments. Thank okay. you. Colleagues, let me let me make this proposal. Well, not make this proposal. Let's, let's tie it down on this proposal. Firm it up. Chair, <clears throat> um, um, I think that the, the sorry, the DG must tell us about uh, those that ought to have been held accountable. All right, you want a response to that before we... All right, DG, let's hand over to you. All right, people must be held, I said people must be held accountable. In fact, uh, quite frankly, heads needs to roll, Chair. We, okay, we yeah. the DG. All right, DG, DG, over to you. Thank you, Chair. Um, that, that's what we, we intend to do, Chairperson. Um, as indicated by the AG, the recommendations, we will implement them. Those that have not done what they're supposed to do um, will take steps to make sure that uh, um, they are held accountable. That's the intention. Check. All right, let's let's do this, uh, colleagues. I hear what Honorable Hatteb is saying in wanting um, um in wanting the dg to speak about um consequence management but let's <clears throat> let, let, let's concretize it as follows uh, the siu's here colleagues you are we are settled here with as i was saying in the opening remarks mm-hmm. and as we know 10 years <clears throat> of uh, no eight years of a disclaimer to for an adverse so in the 10 years, really, there has been absolutely no change, none whatsoever, zero. And the same individuals have been in charge. Uh, quite frankly, Minister, <clears throat> the question that we should be asking you is whether the DG and the Commissioner are fit for purpose and competent to the challenges that beset the compensation fund. Because on their watch repeatedly, there is just no movement on issues. I remember that in the fifth parliament, we actually even went to the compensation fund. We raised these issues and all sorts of commitments were made and they've come to naught. Year in, year out, the audit outcomes are pointing to the same shortcomings and same deficiencies. So it's either nobody cares or nobody takes parliament seriously or nobody takes their own responsibility seriously or nobody is bothered about the well-being of the fund that things continue in the same way. Either one of those options is totally unacceptable. And quite frankly, speaks to a dereliction of duty of the highest order. And none of the responses today, as far as I'm concerned, have given us any comfort to allay our anxieties and concerns about the compensation fund. 
it's becoming tiring and absolutely nauseating to be saying the same thing over and over again to the compensation fund. Worst of all, to the same individuals. So, Minister, I think there is full agreement insofar as the, the committee is having pointed out this morning that we are calling for a full-scale forensic investigation um, into the uh, compensation fund for the 10-year period that we are talking about. Um, and we are giving you, colleagues, I think uh, 30 days, Minister, like we did yesterday in the issues of the National Skills Fund, to lay out a roadmap of that uh, forensic investigation um, and to and also refer the matter to the SIU and subject it to a proclamation. So Minister, in 30 days, we expect that you will make a submission to the committee on the modus operandi that will be employed for the purposes of um, a forensic investigation for you to report to us how it will be done, who will be doing it, and the terms of reference um, of that forensic investigation. We are expecting that uh, the audit-related uh, matters will be uh, central to that, the audit outcomes, the audit plans, because your internal audit is very, very functional. They have reported on these issues, but nobody's listening to them. And this just smacks of coordinated corruption to say we the, the structures and institutions can be there, but we're not going to comply. And so, and then the second point, uh, Minister, is that we, we, are, we are calling on you to um, have a performance assessment of the DG and the Commissioner of the Fund to make a determination as to whether they are actually capable and competent and fit for purpose insofar as these matters are concerned. On the other hand, we're dealing with headaches of the UIF in the same portfolio. Perennial headaches, which consistently and persistently mount on top of one another. Because as I'm, as I, as I'm saying, it cannot be that the audit outcomes every year, every year, with the same individuals for five years plus, there is no change. Absolutely none. Something has got to give, Minister. And if you are not going to bite the bullet here and take the tough decisions about the individual's consent, then we will make recommendations accordingly. But at this point in time, I think it suffices to say that we are ordering and for a full-scale forensic investigation with the cooperation of the SIU and for the minister to submit to us in 30 days the, the roadmap and the modus operandi, terms of reference and so on of how this uh, forensic investigation will be done uh, and for a performance assessment um, of the um, DG and the commissioner uh, of the the, 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 the the compensation fund. So today is the uh, the nineteenth. Uh, minister will request to get that uh, no later than the twentieth of June, and to also draw your attention to the fact that whilst Parliament is going on recess, uh, we have been granted permission as this committee uh, to meet 
as and when circumstances dictate um, that we should be uh, dealing with issues. The issues of the compensation fund are of a priority uh, importance to this committee. Because quite frankly, we, we have tolerated long enough the commitments and the pledges that things are going to turn around and it's all amounted to naught. This situation, Minister, is totally, totally unacceptable. You cannot have an institution which year in, year out is committed to no change. So I, I, I hope colleagues, we, 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 we can wrap it up in, in that way um, and then <clears throat> see what the minister submits to the committee um, on the 20th of, of, of June and we can satisfy ourselves uh, as to whether we, we, the, 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 the framework meets our expectations um, and then we take it from the, the SIU and the AG uh, to form part and parcel of uh, this forensic investigation, even from a cooperation point of view, information sharing, to make sure that we enrich this process uh, and for it to arrive at a, a conclusion which is going to turn things around um, at the compensation fund. I'm just, if I'm still chair next year, I, I will pull my hair out if I have to sit here again and listen to the same audit outcomes from the same individuals uh, on the same institution, just absolutely no movement on issues. So let's circumvent it, Minister, and subject this to a full-scale forensic investigation, which will come out with the necessary um, uh, recommendations. So I think, colleagues, we can um, leave it at that. Um, and also the fact that um, you've not tabled uh, to Parliament the annual report, uh, that is something we are flagging as well. Uh, there the seems to be that glitch, Minister, if you can follow that up. Parliament's records somehow do not seem to reflect the availability of the annual report uh, on its records. Minister, may I hand over to you um, for any concluding remarks and the response to the uh, summation of the committee, and then we will bring the meeting to, to, to an end. But from our side, we're just done talking. We, we've had it actually with the compensation fund because these issues have been raised from the fourth parliament, fifth parliament, and we're still dealing with the same issues and uh, 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 now, ultimately, something has got to give. Minister, over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson and uh, the Honorable Members. As I said at the beginning, we see what you have raised as constructive uh, criticisms, which are meant to, for us to correct the wrongs. And that's what accountability is, is all about. And I believe in one thing, Chipperson. If you want to deal with the wrong things, first things first is to acknowledge the mistakes to acknowledge the wrongs. And I think we have done that. We acknowledge that chaos. And once we have acknowledged that, we're going to be able to deal with it. And we have added on some of the blind spots, which we're not looking at. 
and I want to, as we close, to assure this committee of, 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 of our commitment to address the findings of the AG, as well as to conduct this organizational review I was talking about, uh, of the both funds to address what we have been saying, underlying systemic problems and skills deficit. I'm, I'm equally not satisfied with the, the previous skills audit. As they say, it was done. I won't throw it away, but I'll build on it. But I still want us to go deeper. And I should also mention that with the Deputy Minister uh, and the DG, of course, we are committed to this regular monitoring of progress towards the implementation of the funds uh, action plans. And I'm repeating this, that in this we will also enlist the support of the internal audit, the audit committee, whose work was, was commended by the AG. We, we also support the proposal of the compensation fund reporting regular against the plans and the targets to the SCOPA, to the Portfolio Committee, Select Committee in the Office of the, the AG. And uh, Chair, we will definitely take the instructions of the full-scale forensic audit, but we need to be very careful that we don't come up with very broad terms of reference where there will be an unending forensic audit. People continue to make money. And, and as you have indicated in 30 days, we'll make that submission to the committee on the areas we have mentioned from the roadmap, modus operandi, the terms of reference, who is going to do it, we have to follow uh, the PFM procedures in appointing that. Definitely, the issue of performance assessment of both the DG and the commissioner. These are already there in my own performance agreement with the president and between myself and the DG. We will report the progress to SCOPA not later than the 20th of June. Thank you very much. We take this as constructive and as in the interest of us accounting about the public funds. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson and Honorable Members. All right, Minister, thank you very much. Um, I think we can leave it at that. Colleagues, I would like to thank Honorable Hardeb and Honorable Liz, um, who have sort of, not sort of, who have peeled the onion uh, to bring to life the audit outcomes, demonstrating why we are concerned as a committee about the state of affairs of the compensation fund. And so I think they've been very thorough uh, in that and the responses have been well, just plainly weak and have been an indication of the extent of the collapse of the institution. It's just, an, it's not a pretty picture, actually, uh, what's happening at the compensation fund. So, Minister, we will await your report.
uh, on the 20th of June. Um, and um, the, the 20th of June, or 20th of June is a Sunday, Minister. So on the 21st of June, um, Monday, the 21st of June, uh, will be fine in that regard. And then um, the responses which have been required from the DG and the commissioner to reach us next week, Thursday, close of business, uh, as part of our information collection um, exercise. Um, and then we will leave it at that. Let me take this opportunity, colleagues, and thank you for your attendance and participation this morning. Um, and there are budget votes, of course, at 1400 hours today, and some colleagues are participating in by-elections. Um, so thank you very much. I would like to thank you, Minister, for your presence today. Uh, knowing that it's a Thursday, Wednesday and some of your colleagues will tell us that it's Cabinet Day, but we maintain that it's also Parliament Day. And so we thank you for your presence as well today and the Deputy Minister who left a short while ago. To the DG Commissioner and the rest of the team, thank you to you as well for your appearance at this hearing this morning. Um, and we will then um, bring the meeting to an end. SIU and AG, as always, we are truly appreciative of your continued support, cooperation, uh, and uh, information sharing with us um, on these very complex and difficult matters. Colleagues, the notifications of next week will go out this afternoon and tomorrow, and we will finalize as to whether we're proceeding with CETA next week, Wednesday, or not. On that note, colleagues, have a wonderful day ahead, and thank you very much. The meeting stands adjourned. Long live the chair. Long live the chair. Long live the chair. <laughs> and the minister. Long live the minister. <laughs> All right, colleagues, have a good one. Sharp, sharp. Epic. Leadership. <laughs> Yes, solve bu fumenele ngawe ngingi ka tax yiole ekwenza ngikwino tax chilo ba uzandenza chushu dichile ayesi